Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Judges. Judges in chapter number 11. We are walking through, finishing up this series on the tail end of this period of the Judges. And recently we've been walking through the lives of the Judges. And we've been examining their lives and watching that these Judges, they were military chieftains. And they were used to help deliver Israel from their times of trouble. And as we've examined the Judges, that most of them were not... Uh, or had something wrong with them. They were not socially accepted one way or another. Or maybe they had some moral failings in them. As we study the next judge, we could see that they were used of God. But once again, we have a man who was not socially accepted and ended up having some failings in his own life. But he was used in a specific way. And in fact, this is one of the controversial passages of the scripture that makes people scratch their heads. And with the Lord's help, we'd like to unscratch your head and try to see if we get it as clear as possible. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Judges in chapter number 11. Judges chapter 11, and starting at verse 1, the word of God says this. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, and he was a son of a harlot. And Gilead beget Jephthah. And Gilead's wife bare him sons, and his wife's sons grew up. And they thrust out Jephthah, and said unto him, Thou shalt not inherit our father's house, for thou art the son of a strange woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brethren, and dwelt in the land of Tob. And there was gathered vain men unto Jephthah, and went out with him. And it came to pass in the process of time that the children of Ammon made war against Israel. And it was so when the children of Ammon made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to fetch Jephthah out of the land of Tob. And they said unto Jephthah, Come and be our captain, that we may fight with the children of Ammon. Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, Did not ye hate me and expel me out of my father's house? And why are ye come unto me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, Therefore we turn again to thee now, that thou mayest go with us and fight against the children of Ammon, and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight against the children of Ammon, and the Lord deliver them before me, shall I be your head? And the elders of Gilead said unto Jephthah, The Lord be witness between us, if we do not so according to thy words. Then Jephthah went up to the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and captain over them. And Jephthah uttered all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. And Jephthah sent messengers unto the king of the children of Ammon, saying, What hast thou to do with me, that thou art come against me to fight in my land? And the king of the children of Ammon answered unto the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel took away my land when they were come up out of Egypt, from Arnon even to Jabbok. 
and unto Jordan. Now, therefore, restore those lands again peacefully. And Jephthah sent messengers again unto the king of the children of Ammon and said unto him, Thus saith Jephthah, Israel took not away the land of Moab, nor the land of the children of Ammon. But when Israel came up from Egypt and walked through the wilderness under the Red Sea and came to Kadesh, then Israel sent messengers unto the king of Edom, saying, Let me, I pray thee, pass through thy land. But the king of Edom would not hearken thereto. And like manner they sent unto the king of Moab, and he would not consent. And Israel abode in Kadesh. And they went along through the wilderness, compassed the land of Edom and the land of Moab, and came by the east side of the land of Moab, and pitched on the other side of Arnon, but came not within the border of Moab, for Arnon was the border of Moab. And Israel sent messengers unto Sihon, the king of the Amorites, the king of Heshbon. And Israel said unto him, Let us pass, we pray thee, through thy land into my place. But Sihon trusted not Israel to pass through his coast. But Sihon gathered all the people together and pitched in Jahaz and fought against Israel. And the Lord God of Israel delivered Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they smote them. So Israel possessed all the land of the Amorites and the inhabitants of that country. And they possessed all the coast of the Amorites from Arnon, even to Jabbok, even unto the wilderness, even into Jordan. Now And so now... The Lord God of Israel hath uh, dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel. And shouldest thou possess it? Wilt not thou possess that which Chemosh, thy God, giveth thee to possess? So whomsoever the Lord our God shall drive out before us, them will we possess. Now, and now art thou anything better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever strive against Israel, or did he ever fight against them? While Israel dwelt in Heshbon and her towns, and Aror and her towns, and all the cities that be along the coast of Arnon three hundred years, why then did ye not recover them within that time? Wherefore, I have not sinned against thee, but thou uh, dost me wrong to war against me. The Lord, uh, be the judge, be judged this day between the children of Israel and the children of Ammon. Howbeit the king of the children of Ammon hearkened not unto the words of Jephthah, which he sent him. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed over Gilead and Manasseh, and passed over Zipha of Gilead, and from Zilpha of Gilead he passed over unto the children of Ammon. And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord, and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into mine hands, then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the children of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jephthah passed over into the children of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. And he smote them from Aror, even till thou comest to Mineth, even twenty cities, and unto the plain of the vineyards with a very great slaughter. Thus the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. And Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house. And behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances, and she was his only child. Beside her he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low. 
and thou art one of them that trouble me. For I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. And she said unto him, My father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me according to that which thou hast proceeded out of my mouth. For as much as the Lord hath taken vengeance for thee of thine enemies, even the children of Ammon. And she said unto her father, Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone two months that I may go up and down and upon the mountains and bewail my virginity, I and my fellows. And he said, Go. And he sent her away for two months. And she went with her companions and bewailed her virginity upon the mountains. And it came to pass at the end of two months that she returned unto her father, who did with her according to his vow, which he had vowed, and, he knew no, and she knew no man. And it was a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in a year. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark, if you wouldn't mind, uh, in the book of Judges, chapter 11. The book of Judges, chapter 11, in verse number 1, the phrase Jephthah, and notice how it describes Jephthah, a mighty man of valor. And here we'll do a quick character study of the life of Jephthah. Jephthah, the mighty man of valor. Jephthah, mighty man of valor. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we approach your throne room of grace once again, we had a great morning. And as we examined who you were and we saw the great and patient and loving God that we have, we did thank you for being merciful to us when we fail you. Now, as we open up the Bible again, help us to learn from you and uh, learn from your word and be able to apply it. And once again, keeping in mind that you are a great God, a huge God, an amazing God who loves us so very much. I'm asking that you would strengthen us up for the things that you would have us to do, that you would make us mighty men of valor, of, of great warriors for you and prayer and soul winning and obedience towards you. Again, I do not trust my own, my health, my mind. I just, the best I know how, once again, I surrender myself to you. And I beg that you fill me with your precious spirit, Lord, that you would once again get your own work accomplished tonight through your precious word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we study through this interesting judge, we find here Jephthah, the mighty man of valor. If you're keeping track and defining words, you're going to see this word valor inside of the Bible quite a few times. It's mentioned a lot in the Old Testament. This word valor carries the idea of a, of a seasoned veteran. Of a seasoned veteran. So someone who's a mighty man of valor is someone who's a seasoned veteran in warfare, in fighting. He is someone that is considered not a novice, not someone who's never held a sword. This is someone who has experience. And this is exactly who the people were looking for in their time of trouble, is someone with experience to go fight against the enemy. And as we examine this, let's introduce ourselves to Jephthah by first looking at Jephthah's family. Jephthah's family. Now, Jephthah comes from the tribe of Gilead. And uh, they dwell on the other side of uh, the River Jordan. Remember, the River Jordan uh, is used as a border for Israel. And you had most of the tribes on one side, but you had the two and a half tribes that stayed on the other side of Jordan uh, and not on the promised land. 
Now you have Gilead here, Jephthah, who is a man of Gilead. His social failing is that his daddy uh, had spent some time with a, a different lady. And so he was rejected from the rest of his brothers and sisters when they were growing up. They said, sorry, uh, dad messed up, so we reject you. You know, it's a shame sometimes that we reject people because of their heritage. Instead of looking at the man, and that's exactly what his brothers did. Notice with me in verse number one. Now, Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, and he was a son of a harlot. And Gilead beget Jephthah. And Gilead's wife bare him sons, and his wife's sons grew up. And they thrust out Jephthah, and they said unto him, Thou shalt... uh, shall not inherit our father's house, for thou art a son of a strange woman. So they kicked him out. Now, Jephthah didn't fight. He didn't argue. He said, all right, fine. If you're going to be that way, I'll go take care of my own stuff. I'll uh, go strike out on my own. Forget you guys. He didn't decide he was going to declare war on him. He said, fine. Instead of uh, fighting with him, I'll, I'll take off. I'll leave. Verse number three, then Jephthah fled from his brethren and dwelt in the land of Tob. And there was gathered vain men with Jephthah, and they went out with him. And it came to pass in the process of time, the children of Ammon made war against Israel. And it was so when the children of Ammon made war with Israel, the elders of Gilead went to fetch Jephthah out of the land of Tob. So what happens is they kick um, Jephthah out and Jephthah gathers a little army together. And yes, a lot of them that were yes men and he became um, the leader. But through that time, whatever he was doing, he became a man who was experienced in warfare. He was experienced in winning battles, whether it was raids or whatever it was. He gained quite a bit of experience and with it quite a bit of name. So when the children of Ammon started to attack the children of Israel... What happened is that they said, we need someone to lead us in battle. We need someone who's going to win. We need someone who knows how to fight. They said, let's go get Jephthah. Now, Jephthah had been rejected. And for how many years he'd been living by himself. And now he's needed. And so they fetch him and said, please, will you be our leader? Please, will you fight for us? And so Jephthah says, all right, you've already cast me out once. Let's pick it up in verse number eight. Actually, verse number seven. And Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, Did not ye hate me and expel me out of my father's house? And why are you come unto me now when you're in distress? He said, Hey, didn't you guys kick me out and say you didn't want me? Now you need me? He says, We got to clear some things up first. Verse eight. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, Therefore, we turn again to thee now, that thou mayest go with us and fight against the children of Ammon and be our head over the inhabitants of Gilead. So what Jephthah does is, all right, let's make a deal. If I fight for you, I'm now your leader. Do you agree? And they agreed. But we could see that this wasn't a nice uh, family reunion. The only reason why they pulled him back is because they needed him. And so we see Jephthah and his family, they agree to it. So now he turns from his family and the narrative turns to Jephthah's enemy. So not only Jephthah's family, but Jephthah's enemy. Here we have the children of Ammon. Before he, uh, Jephthah goes to fight, he sends a letter to, to the king. And basically, if you could allow me to sum it up what's going on, he goes to the king and sends messengers and says, why do you want to fight against us? What's your big deal anyways? What's what's your problem? And uh, the king of Ammon said, we want our land back. Don't you remember the children of Israel? They stole our land. 
And Jephthah said, wait a second, that's revisionist history. That's not what happened. And what he does is he goes through and recalls what, it, what is recorded in the Old Testament with Moses as they go through it. Remember what occurred? That as they're traveling through the, um, through the wilderness wanderings, they decide they're going to cross the river through Jordan. And so they first of all come to the very southernmost kingdom on the other side of Jordan, which is Edom. And so they come to Edom and say, all right, can you let us pass? We don't want to attack you or anything. We just want to use your uh, land just to cross and we'll get out of your way. And God had specifically said, don't destroy Edom. If you remember where Edom came from, this is the family of Esau, the family of Esau. And on top of that, this is where a lot of Ishmael's relatives had been living. So you have Ishmael and you have Esau's relatives living in Edom. Remember, Edom means red. That's where you got the the uh, Esau from. Remember, he was a red, hairy guy, if you remember that in the book of Genesis. And uh, God said, you can't destroy them. Uh, they get a pass. You're not destroying them out of the land. I'm promised Abraham I'm not going to destroy them. And I promised uh, Ishmael or uh, Esau that I'm not going to destroy them. So if they're not going to let you pass, you got to go around. So they had begged him and, and the, the king of Edom said, no, it can't pass. So they went around the desert the long way and they came to the next country that was up. And that was the country of Moab. And they said, hey, we're not wanting to destroy you. We just want to cross. We just need to get to the other side of the river. Will you allow us to cross through your land? And the king of Moab says, no way, man. If you get into my land, you're going to destroy me. Forget it. You can't pass. And once again, remember that the children of Moab are descendants of Lot. And so God said, you can't destroy them because I promised Lot. And I promised Abraham that he can't destroy them. All right, so we can't go to Edom. We can't cross here. We can't cross in Moab. All right, well, let's go to the next one. Well, here they come to Ammon. Ammon happened to be children of Lot as well. And they go, can we cross? And they said, you can't cross. Oh, man, come on. We've been traveling and you won't let. We just want to go over there. You can't cross. Well, God says you can't destroy them either because they're children of Lot. And I promised Abraham all right, so now they got to travel all the way up north. Now they come to the Amorites. And they come to the kings of Sihon and Og. And now these are Canaanite lands. God has no promises to them. They said, can we pass? And they said, nope. And they said, oh, we're going anyways. And they conquer all of that northern territory. And they get through it. And as they cross it, of course, their border expanded over time. And they said, hey, since we've crossed and we've cut, uh, expanded our borders and stuff, you say that we took your land. You've had 300 years to get it back. Why haven't you done it? You've had now after 300 years of waiting. Now you finally decide now it's time to go ahead and claim your stake that we supposedly stole from you. It doesn't work that way. Well, you know, the king of Ammon was just looking for a reason to fight. And so he came up with a reason, but it didn't match with history. He's he you know what Jephthah did is he took his Bible and said, no, it doesn't match. It's not what the Bible says. It's not what's recorded down. It doesn't work. Well, of course, the king of Ammon's not interested in listening. So he says, don't worry, we're going to fight anyways. If you don't like my excuse, how about we fight just because I don't like you? How about that? And so they, they're going to go fight. So we see Jephthah's family that he was rejected. And when he was needed, they brought him back. We see Jephthah's enemy that he wrote letters and they sent messengers to, to the king of Ammon. And 
the king of Amman had an unbiblical reason. His history was wrong, but he corrected him and said, nope, but the war is going on. Now the third thing we want to show you is Jephthah's vow. Jephthah's vow. Notice if you don't mind. And verse 29, we see Jephthah taking the enemy. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah and he passed over Gilead and Manasseh and passed over uh, Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed over unto the children of Ammon. Now in verse 30, Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into my hands, then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth, of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jephthah's getting ready to fight. And so he says, well, I'm supposed to be trusting in the Lord. So how about we pray? All right, God, you help me win this battle. And if I win this battle, the very first thing that comes through the doors, I'm going to give you that as a burnt offering. You see, he said that as a vow, and he said that kind of hastily, he said that kind of quick. But let me tell you something, when you make a vow to God, you better keep it. It is an important thing. The Bible talks about it, that if you vow a vow to God, you better keep it. It'd be better if you didn't make a vow in the first place than to make a vow and not to keep it. The Bible says later on in a different passage. But Jephthah said this vow, and and of course God did get him the victory. Notice with me in verse number 32. So Jephthah passed over into the children of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. And he smote from Aror, even until thou comest to Mineth, even twenty cities of the plains of the vineyards, with a very great slaughter. Thus the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. God answered his prayer and he destroyed 20 cities of the enemy, went and just plowed a great slaughter, won the battle, and now he's ready to come home. So he said the very first thing that happens is that whatever crosses through his door, now he's probably thinking like a goat or a cow or a bull or something. Notice what occurs in verse 34. And Jephthah came to Mizpah into his house and behold, his daughter came to meet him with tambrils and with dances. And she was his only child beside her. He had neither son nor daughter. So he comes home and says, all right, it's nice to be back. And the very first person to greet him is his daughter. Remember, he made a promise and his daughter comes. Now, this is where people start to uh, to say, what in the world? Is he going to bind up his daughter? Is he going to burn her alive on the state? What's going to happen here? I mean, how does this work out? Let's read a little bit more. And verse number 35. And it came to pass when he saw her, he rent his clothes. Remember that word rent means to tear. It carries the idea. uh, It was uh, an expression that they did. That whenever something came to a public astonishment. Something that was public shame. They would rip their clothes as a public sign of shame of something wrong. His daughter comes in and he says, oh no. He rips his clothes as a sign of public shame. And he said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low. Thou art one of them that trouble me. For I have opened my mouth unto the Lord and I can't go back. So his daughter comes in and he wants to be glad to see her. But he says, Oh no, I made a promise to God. And you, you came in. I have to keep my promise. And so he explains what he promised to her. 
Verse 36, and she said unto him, my father, if thou was open thy mouth unto the Lord, do unto me according to that which proceedeth out of thy mouth. For as much as the Lord hath taken vengeance of thee of thine enemies, even of the children of Ammon. So she goes and says, dad, you made a promise to God. You go ahead and carry out your promise. Now, let's pause here. I'm going to explain what's going on, but let's just use contextual clues. If she's going to get burned alive, do you think she would react like this? No. All right. None of you would be crazy enough to say, Dad, come home and say, all right, I made a promise to God and I'm going to burn you up. Okay, whatever you want. Probably not. And so whatever's going to happen, she's not going to get burnt alive. So notice what goes on. Verse 37. And she said unto her father, let this thing be done for me. Let me alone two months that I may go up and down the mountains and be well my virginity. I and my fellows. And he said, go. And he sent her away for two months. And she went with her companions and bewailed her virginity upon the mountains. And it came to pass at the end of two months that she returned unto her father, who did with her according to his vow, which he had vowed. And she knew no man. And it was a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in a year. So now what is going on? Now we understand that culture has changed in 3,000 years. This is how far back it was. And we also know that, that language and understanding has changed. For example, today we would say, let's go to the mall. And you would know what I meant. But 100 years from now, if someone said, reading a thing that I went to the mall, what is this mall type thing? You see, customs may have changed some. You know, we may have certain customs that we we take for granted and we don't have to explain to someone else, right? I had a birthday party. What's that? Well, we don't have to explain that because that's a common knowledge thing today. Well, the people there, they had the custom of the Old Testament law. And the Bible explains that if someone makes a vow or something like this, that they could remunerate it with money. Instead of actually taking the, the actual sacrifice, they could remunerate it with money if that's what they had. And so, first of all, he didn't have to sacrifice it. He could also give it with money. The second thing, it was against the law to sacrifice a human sacrifice. That was a big no-no. God took passages and says, don't put your kids in the fire. Don't let them pass through the fire. Don't burn them. Human sacrifice is an abomination to the Lord. It says all kinds of things. Don't do that. So he can't keep a vow to God uh, in that thing. That's something that God would not accept. Does that make sense? God would not accept it. The law made provision for him to put it in uh, monetary form to cover it. The uh, next thing, what happened is that she carried on the vow and she said, I will put myself as a sacrifice, not as a burnt sacrifice, but as a sacrifice that I am going to live my life dedicated to the Lord for the rest of my life. That means I'm not going to get married. I'm not going to whatever else. I'm going to give myself. You, you said you're going to give me to the Lord. Well, I'll carry that through. I'll keep it because God kept his promise to you. I will go just dad before I go. Give me two months. To spend some time with my girlfriends, her companions. Let me take a two-month vacation before I, I give them the rest of my life to the Lord. Is that acceptable? He said, fine. And so she spent two months and 
in preparation and crying. She's not going to get married to realize that her dreams are now changed. Now she's going to spend her time to the Lord. And then what happened, it became a custom that her friends went four days a year to go visit her and do to once again kind of weep and say, I'm sorry you're not going to get married. I'm sorry that your life has changed. Uh, that type of thing. Does it sort of make sense? It's kind of as clear as mud, right? So, first of all, that God would not allow a human sacrifice. That's a true thing. The law also allowed for someone to put the money in instead of the sacrifice. The Bible gives those passages. The third thing is that she gave herself to continual service unto the Lord. And that was acceptable along with the the monetary value of giving it to her. So she was not burnt to the stake. She wasn't put as a burnt offering. He did not kill his child and God was not pleased with that. Does it make sense? It was something that was allowable. And the Bible here doesn't explain that. Because if in this day, a, a common Jewish person who understood the law, they wouldn't think different of it. But today, because of context, because of... 3,000 years of changing because of unfamiliarity. Someone could read this and say, he killed his daughter. How dare he do that? Well, that's not what happened. There's a little bit of confusion. But we're not done yet, if you don't mind. We saw Jephthah's family and saw how they rejected him, but they called him back when they need him. We saw Jephthah's enemy that he went and uh, got in a Bible discussion, a history discussion with the king of Ammon. But ended up destroying them. We saw Jephthah's vow that Jephthah said, all right, God. Now he spoke quickly. And we see here, he was very serious about keeping his vow. There's something serious. When you're talking to God, the God who created all the universe, and you make a promise, you better keep it. Because you're talking to God. How dare you break a promise to God? You see, that was very important that he kept his word. He didn't break it. He kept it. And so we see this, um, his vow. But there's one thing in the life of Jephthah that we want to show you here. Jephthah's overreaction. Jephthah's overreaction. Notice with me in Judges chapter 12 and verse number 1. Judges 12 and verse 1. And the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and went northward and said unto Jephthah, Wherefore passest thou over to fight against the children of Ammon? And didst not call us to go with thee? We will burn thy house upon thee with fire. Now, if you might remember, these Ephraimites have come up again to complain. Remember Gilead or um, Gideon? They went and complained, Gideon, how come you didn't ask us to fight? And they're all offended because Gideon didn't ask him to fight. Now they're doing it again with Jephthah. You know, as you trace uh, the peoples, you trace the, the people of, of Ephraim, they are a very prideful, easily offended people. That's something about pride. Pride makes people easily offended. And it's awful and it's nasty. And they come up, but they're not just... just um, they're really bad. Jephthah, how dare you go in this fight and you didn't invite this. We're going to burn down your house and we're going to burn you with it. We're going to kill you. Now, that's, that's a pretty overreaction for being offended. But they're offended. They're mad. They're upset. How come you didn't ask us to fight? Because we were over here taking care of our business. You, you know, whatever the reason, verse number two. And Jephthah said unto them, I and my people were at a great strife with the children of Ammon. And when I called you... Ye delivered me not out of their hands. He says, we were in a big fight. And when I did call you, you didn't come. What makes you think that you were going to come when I, uh, the next time? 
He says, I've already called you and you didn't answer. You were unreliable. And when I saw that you delivered me not, I put my life in my hands and passed over the ch- ch- against the children of Ammon. And the Lord delivered them into my hand. Wherefore then are you come up against me this day to fight against me? And Jephthah gathered together all of the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the men of Gilead smote Ephraim because they said, ye Gileads are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassehites. So basically, they have a little civil war. They get in a little fight. And they, you know, it's almost like two uh, church members fighting in the parking lot now. I mean, they're supposed to be all the children of God, but one got offended and the other one overreacted to the offendedness. And they're just going to town fighting. The, Gile- uh, the Gilead said, uh-uh, we, we're the ones who did all the heavy lifting. And the Ephraimite says, oh, yeah, well, you're just refugees from us. We just allow you to live here. We're the ones who've given you protection. And now they're calling each other names and they're fighting. And tempers and passions are getting heated. Verse number five. And the Gileadites took the passages of Jordan before the Ephraimites. And it was so when the Ephraimites were escaped, said, let me go over. The men of Gilead said unto them, art thou an Ephraimite? And if he said nay. So what they did is remember that Ephraim is on the west side of the Jordan River. That the Gileadites, Gilead is on the east side of the Jordan River. You had all the Ephraimites who had come over to get in this big fight and this argument. So the Gilead said, all right, we'll just guard the river. And any time an Ephraimite tried to go back home, try to cross the river, they would stop him and said, Holt, are you an Ephraimite? No, I'm not an Ephraimite at all. They said, prove it. Now, here was their test. English teachers love this test. Verse number six. And they said unto him, say now, Shibboleth. And he said, Sibboleth, for he could not frame to pronounce it right. Then they took him and slew him at the passages of Jordan. And there fell at that time the Ephraimites 40 and 2,000. So here was the test. Are you an Ephraimite? No. All right. Say Shibboleth. And because of their accent, they couldn't say it right. It's almost like someone with a southern twang versus a northern nasal thing, right? There's a difference in accents and how they say the same word will um, sound a little bit different, right? For example, y'all say bags. Is that, I can't even say that. And it's a bag. You know, you know, the different way that you say things. So just imagine that they did that bag or bag or whatever y'all say. All right. Let's prove that you're not a northerner. Say bag. Bag. Oh, guess what? You failed the test. We're going to kill you. Just because you couldn't say a word right. It was just proving where you were from because of that accent. Say shibboleth. Sibboleth. Some of you need to practice that later on, right? <laughs> Try to say shibboleth and sibboleth. But notice they killed 42,000 Ephraimites just because someone was offended. Now, it's one thing to kill your enemy. But these are supposed to be people who are all supposed to be the children of Israel. All the children of... Someone should have had enough sense to go ahead and let it the go. Take the wrong. But instead, they're getting offended. And an overreaction has occurred. And next thing you know, they're brawling out in the parking lot. And putting a black eye on the whole mess. Well, it's more than a black eye. There's 42,000 people got killed just because they couldn't say a word right. Um... 
That was a little bit of an overreaction. Verse number seven. And Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then died Jephthah the Gileadite and was buried in one of the cities of Gilead. And then after him, Ibezin of Bethlehem judged Israel. And it goes on. Then after Ibezin, we have um, Ilion. <laughs> Uh, that came Abizon, then Ilion. After Ilion came Abaddon in verse number 13. And then we come to these three judges that come right in a row. But we have Jephthah here, ruled six years. He had a great fight, but then there was an overreaction which destroyed some of God's own people within the mess. And by the way, it's within the reign of Gilead or Jephthah that Samuel and Samson are born. So it's in the midst of this thing right here that we have two young men, future judges, who are born. And they're born in this type of mess. This is a true mess. So what do we get out of uh, Jephthah's life? Well, I don't want you to get the overreaction. Please don't overreact. Please don't get over the offended thing. But one thing that you should get is that Jephthah took his vow to the Lord seriously. Have you ever made a commitment to the Lord and didn't carry it through. That's dangerous stuff. You see he saw God so high. So holy. So mighty. And God answered his prayer. He needs to keep his vow to God. He needs to keep his promise to God. You see it's a very serious thing. To make a decision for the Lord. And not carry it through. I heard a preacher say. That most Christians don't need to make. New decisions for the Lord. We just need to keep the old ones we've already made. How many decisions have you made that you know you haven't kept up with? Maybe it was a vow to pray. God, I'm going to pray every day. And maybe you haven't gone through. Maybe you made a vow. God, help me to read 30 minutes every day. And he didn't come through. I'm going to pass out a track to at least one person a week. One person a day. And you didn't carry it through. You know, I don't have to go through the list. You already know what vows you've made and what you need to keep. Maybe some of you have recently made a decision and you just need to be reminded to keep that decision. You know, life happens and we can easily be distracted. Or maybe we don't like it anymore and we want to set it aside. That's dangerous ground. Because we have a God who loves us so much. He cares for us and he's a big God. We need to be careful with the vows that we make and be serious when we make them and be serious about keeping them. Jephthah was. It was a very serious vow that he made, but he kept it anyways because of who the Lord was. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And I thank you that you are a God who loves us so much. As we were reminded of this morning that you're a God who, who cares for us. Who is plenteous in mercy. His mercy is new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I'm so thankful that you have great mercy upon us. And great grace upon us. Lord, I'm asking that because of the goodness of the Lord that it would lead us to Saying, Lord, help me to keep those things that I've already promised you. Help me to keep those promises I made to you. Those commitments I said I was going to do. Lord, that you would strengthen us up for the battles that you have for us. And for the victories you plan on winning. 
Lord, I'm just asking you to strengthen our church. That as we move forward and we do make promises. And that they would not be made lightly. They would not be made arbitrarily. But Lord, that we would make decisions that would last for our lifetimes. And that they would change us and keep us following after you. We love you so much. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 920- Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.